Welcome to Food Navigator USA's Soup to Nuts podcast with Elizabeth Crawford, where I dish with trendsetters, tastemakers, and industry experts about everything from emerging trends to marketing strategies to regulatory pressures. As Americans continue to adjust to post-pandemic life and mounting economic uncertainty, research from Intel shows that many believe there is no going back to normal, and as such, changing the way they think about budget and shop for, and ultimately prepare food at home. According to Mintel, 71% of adults surveyed agree that the pandemic experience dramatically changed their perspective on life, and three-quarters said they learned a lot about their priorities during the pandemic. At the same time, skyrocketing food prices due to inflation is prompting just under a third of consumers to plan to shop at lower-cost retailers, while one in five expect to switch to less expensive alternatives, such as private label products or frozen and canned food. These shifts are creating new and sometimes surprising opportunities for grocery categories for manufacturers and retailers that are willing to evolve with shoppers, innovate to meet their changing needs, and educate them so they feel confident trying new things in the kitchen. At the same time, many manufacturers and retailers are also facing their own set of challenges, including limited resources, supply chain constraints, mounting costs, and recently, rising elasticities that could threaten the market share and margins unless they balance consumer needs with their own. In this episode of Food Navigator USA's Soup to Nuts podcast, Mintel's Director of Innovation and Insights, Lynn Dornblazer, shares how the shifting landscape is influencing grocery shoppers and how this in turn is creating opportunities and challenges for industry stakeholders. She pulls back the curtain on the types of product innovations and claims that are resonating with shoppers now, and looks at how sleepy store segments are being reinvigorated, as well as sharing where she sees the most untapped potential for the next few years. Whether Americans wanted to or not, many found themselves spending more time in the kitchen during the pandemic than previously, And, Dornblazer says, the lessons that they learned and the habits they picked up there continue to influence their approach to food today. One of the things that we've learned during the the pandemic is that um, we actually can successfully eat at home. You know, and that means so many different things, but but we can do that. And we can, we can do it successfully and we can have good, interesting food to eat. Now, obviously some people really got into trying new things, whether it was sourdough or baking or of, you know, baking sweets or, um, making really elaborate meals, you know, that sort of thing. But, um, I think most consumers just kept kept themselves focused on getting food on the table as they needed to. Um, And many of them cook because they have to, not because they enjoy it. Um, I think what, for those consumers, what the pandemic really showed them is that, you know, that they can be successful. But it helped them find those shortcuts and um, workarounds and things to make meals easier that maybe they hadn't seen before. So um, meal kits, sauces that that are easy to transform with other ingredients into food, into a, 
a meal product, you know, that kind of thing. Um, also, too, I think companies, CPG companies, um, have gotten better at helping consumers understand how to get a meal on the table with providing more usage instructions and um, recipes and all of that. I think there's a long way to go there. But, uh, but it feels like that's happened as well. As much as some consumers may not like cooking at home and want to eat out again, many won't be returning to restaurants with the same frequency as they visited pre-pandemic, according to Dornblazer, who says there are two main reasons Americans will linger in their kitchens a little bit longer. One is economic pressures, you know, and economic uncertainty. So is there a recession? Are we in a recession? Are we not in a recession? Why are groceries still so expensive? You know, all of all of those things has consumers a little confused and very cautious. So they're going to be a little more careful about spending their money. And we do know as well that that one of the first bits of discretionary income or discretionary spending that is halted during uncertain economic times is going out to eat. So that's one reason why. But the second reason is that restaurants are still struggling. And yes, that's a horrible cycle that just perpetuates itself. But with challenges with employment and um, being able to staff properly, it isn't as easy or in some cases as enjoyable to go out to eat because the experience for many diners isn't what it used to be. So I think those two things working in concert, and unfortunately they feed on each other, but those two things working in concert I think really um, – will result in, yes, consumers going out to eat. We certainly have seen that now during the summer, but uh, being cautious about it and, and perhaps not being as, um, not going out quite as often as they had before the pandemic. Just because consumers will continue to cook at home more for the foreseeable future doesn't mean those who did so with gusto at the beginning of the pandemic will continue with the same fervor. Rather, Dornblazer predicts consumers who worked from home early in the pandemic and tried their hand at sourdough or creating restaurant-quality meals will now embrace more time-saving solutions going forward. To me, sourdough was one of those, hey, we're home all the time. Let's try something really complicated that most of us will not be able to do successfully. But um, I think there are quite a few things that consumers will and have already leave behind as uh, time goes on and as we're back physically back in the office more, as more people are physically back in the office, as life begins to be less like it was uh, in 2020. Um, sourdough most definitely is, is one of those. Uh, and anything else, I think, too, that is extremely labor-intensive. So that might be, you know, doing the, the uh, experimenting with cake decorating, you know, because there was a certain amount of that going on as well, or um, making very elaborate meals on a weeknight, you know, that, that kind of thing, because you're home and you've got that flexibility. I would say that for those consumers who had the time and financial ability to experiment and to try a lot of new things, I think what they are coming out of the pandemic with is perhaps um, a 
greater appreciation for cuisines that they were previously unfamiliar with because we saw a fair amount of that kind of cooking going on as well. Um, and also an, an, an acknowledgement and a more positive feeling, I suppose, around center of the store. The opportunity then for that group of consumers really feels like it's in um, products that perhaps can help them uh, recreate a unique, complex meal, but in a very easy way. So that might be um, global uh, simmer sauces, for example, or seasoning blends or, you know, that sort of thing that, that will help them recreate something interesting, but to be able to do it much more quickly. Dornblazer also notes that not everybody was able to work from home early in the pandemic, and not everyone had the benefit of quote-unquote extra savings from not going out that they could redirect to their grocery bill. Rather, many people continue to go to work and many lost jobs, and in those cases, they often had less time and resources to spend on cooking. So their needs coming out of the pandemic and into a potential recession look very different. For those consumers that that struggled during the the worst of the pandemic, obviously what what they experienced was very different. Um, but I think what they're coming out of the pandemic with is a an even greater focus on value, looking for good value, and shopping wherever for whatever brands they, you know, are going to give them that good value. So that's going to be things like uh, shopping discount supermarkets, shopping hard discounters like Aldi and Lidl, um, buying more private label, you know, that sort of thing, to be able to um, feed their families and do it economically. On that note, Dornblazer said she believes during the pandemic, all consumers were forced to try private label when it was the only option on the shelf and came to the realization that many private label products are just as good, if not better, than national brands. And, she adds, their popularity may continue to rise given the current economic uncertainty. Indeed, retailers are responding to this by innovating more within private label. According to Mintel data, 34.9% of new foods and beverages introduced in 2021 were private label. This is up from 33.5% the year before and 29.6% in 2019. So many of these products are promoted with claims calling out either their, quote, premium status or their, quote, value. Um, consumers are concerned about... Um their financial situation, and they are um, doing what they need to to make ends meet. And so that might mean more meatless meals as um, proteins of all kinds continue to be very expensive. Um, it might be, you know, for some consumers um, taking advantage of food pantries and, you know, that sort of thing. Uh, but I think I think consumers are looking for as many tactics as they can find to uh, make sure that they can get the groceries that they need uh, and still be able to do as many of the other things as, as they're able to. Grocery shopping isn't a discretionary activity. 
especially. Um, you can make less expensive choices. Um, you can eat at home more since eating out is going to be more expensive. Um, but what you might end up doing is you might end up cutting back elsewhere on other things. Economy and premium both showed increases. And there's a very specific reason for that. And that is that um, for us, the so when we track claims, what we're tracking is how the product is talking about itself. So when it comes to economy, for example, we're not doing pricing analysis to determine if the product is a low-priced product. We're going by what the product is telling the consumer, what the package is telling the consumer. So as a result, for premium and economy, most, not all, but most of those products are private label. And we saw a lot of growth in private label. So that's where, that's where much of that is coming from. Uh, because, you know, you see private label products, like you'll see products sold at Aldi being positioned as premium. Well, they'd be premium in an Aldi universe, but they wouldn't be premium in a mainstream supermarket. They for sure would not be premium at Whole Foods or Wegmans or, you know, one of the uh, higher-end grocery stores. So um, uh, that's why... That's why it's interesting to talk about those trends, but those two claims, but it's important to understand that for the most part, pre- those premium and economy uh, claims are uh, really about private label. The pandemic and current financial landscape are reshaping other marketing claims that resonate with consumers as well, which Dornblazer notes shines a light on where the biggest opportunities are for innovation. For example, she explains in the decades leading up to the pandemic, popular claims that have dropped off since 2019 include individual nutrient claims such as protein and restrictive claims such as low, no, or reduced fat, calories, and sodium. In their stead, Dornblazer says claims that speak to the overall goodness of a product are resonating with consumers alongside sugar-related call-outs. It feels like today it's less about healthy, a product that is seen as healthy is less about restriction, taking out, taking out those things and more about um, the built-in goodness of, of the ingredients and also, which ties to that, the cleanness and the simplicity of the ingredients. So that's a big shift. And so to me, that's why we continue, that's one reason why we continue to see claims like plant-based continue to grow and grow and grow because that's talking about the, the goodness of what's, what's in that, in a particular product. Um, but we've seen, you know, claims on products related to low fat and low calorie and low sodium, unfortunately, we see those declining. Um, there's something else that's important to consumers today, although they're challenged with making the right choices, and that is sugar. We know that consumers are, are concerned about sugar, and we know that they look at the Nutrition Facts panel because they, they talk about um, products that have no added sugar being better for them. So they're looking at the at the Nutrition Facts panel. They're looking at what it says on the back of the pack. Um, and so no added sugar is a claim that continues to grow for 
many reasons, one of which is that consumers say that they're looking for it. Um, and we also see growth in sugar-free. Um, that's a challenging one, though, because just like um, low-sodium, uh, many consumers associate low sugar in a lot of categories with low taste. And so that can be – that's a hard one to overcome, I think. Um, but to me, it does feel like the biggest shift that we've seen and this started pre-pandemic, but it feels like it really sped up during, is that focus on um, the built-in goodness of products, is that being what health is all about. Whether by private label or branded manufacturers, Dornblazer says areas ripe for innovation and new product launches coming out of the pandemic and moving into a period of economic uncertainty include time-saving and convenient solutions, better-for-you treats that balance emotional and physical well-being, and mood elevation. In terms of, in terms of potential for uh, post-pandemic uh, innovation, I would say that, um, you know, there are a couple big areas, I would think. Uh, certainly anything that can help create a, a meal, especially, a, you know, a dinner time choice, um, easily and conveniently. So that can be um, prepared meals or meal kits or sauces or um, side dishes that are partially prepared or fully prepared, you know, that sort of thing. Uh, there's a lot of opportunity there, especially to answer the needs of um, younger consumers. Um, but there's opportunity in uh, products that answer those needs, but do them in some newer ways. So here's a product that is, to me is such an interesting example that comes from General Mills. So we know General Mills as, you know, having a lot of mainstay products that, that everybody knows, um, like um, Hamburger Helper, for example. Well, what General Mills has just come out with is they they have a, um, a venture with the site BuzzFeed, and you probably might be aware of BuzzFeed and its um, tasty tasty as a as a bit of branding um, videos that it does uh, with you know preparing quick and easy meals that sort of thing. They've got a venture with them that is. Um, meal kits, shelf-stable meal kits, you add the protein or vegetables. That's an updated hamburger helper, which is fascinating. Uh, there's also opportunity for um, anything that provides that, still, that provides that sense of um, treat or enjoyment. So, of course, you know, ice creams and cookies and, and that sort of thing. But, uh, you know, ones that, that provide that little bit of um, emotional support, I suppose, you know, for, for some consumers. And if possible, do it in a healthy way or a healthier way, which can be a lot of different things. That could be portion control because we see products that, that do that, like frozen treats that are in uh, individual portions. I can think of you know, like ice cream bars that are in mini sizes, for example. Um, 
but it also can be ones that are lower in fat or lower in calories or have added protein or something like that, you know, have something positive from a nutritional standpoint, but still provide that sense of a treat. Um, and then I think the third area where there there's a lot of talk and it feels like there's a lot of opportunity still, and this actually links to um, desserts, and that is um, products that either because of the formulation, uh, so the ingredients that are in it, or because of what the product happens to be, provides some sort of mood elevation. So that could be chamomile, calming, lavender, you know, the same kind of thing. Or it could be products like, you know, ice cream that are just a a special treat that just make you happy. Um, But it feels like those are some ways that um, uh, companies can – can move forward as we come out of the pandemic. Mintel is tracking several offshoots from these trends that are also ripe for innovation, such as a rising interest in noodles versus pasta, because noodles are associated with more global flavors and can easily pair with a variety of sauces. Likewise, within Healthier Treats, Dawn Blazer says she sees opportunity for nostalgic flavors like Little Debbie's or Twinkies, but with modern twists and a new formats. To learn more about these and other emerging areas that Mintel is tracking, visit Mintel.com, where there is a plethora of insights available to everyone and an opportunity to dig deeper with experts in specific areas. With that, we've reached the end of another episode of Food Navigator USA's Soup to Nuts podcast. I hope that you'll join me again next week for another installment. And to ensure that you remember, I encourage you to subscribe to us. Until next time, this is Elizabeth Crawford wishing you a productive, profitable, and safe week. 